Nobody will love you like Jesus, that's for sure. And here's the amazing thing, he knows everything about you. He knows everything about me, the good, bad, and the ugly, and yet he loves me more than anyone else. It's an amazing thing. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. He wants us to grow and change, to become more like him, so we can live the life we were made for. And he loves you so much, he has a personal word for you today. And there's something so powerful about God's word. It changes lives. And so I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're right here in the Woodlands campus. Maybe you're at our Tascacita campus. Maybe you're worshiping online or through a broadcast ministry. Wherever you're at, God knows where you're at. He's got your number. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through, and he loves you. And he has a word for you today, a word of love and life change. And I'm so grateful that when God says, hey, don't do that, it's not to make us miserable. It's so that we can enjoy life and live the life we're made for because he made us. He knows how we're made. He knows what works best for us. And when he says, do that, even if I don't understand it, then I'm to do it because he loves me. He knows what's best for me. God loves you. And he wants good for you more than you want your own good. And once we begin to understand that, we'll begin to follow him one step at a time. We'll follow him, we'll listen to his word, we'll do what he says, and we'll walk in the light. A new day, a fresh start. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you that you are the God of the fresh start, the God of the new day, the God of the second chance. And I know, Lord, everyone within the sound of my voice has brought in burdens and struggles and, and hurts and heartaches. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you love us so much that you care about each and every one of them. And Lord, I know that you wanna just go right into these broken places in our lives and bring healing today, and only you can do that. I thank you that your word is life-changing. Lord, we all get stuck in these ruts that really just hold us back. And you wanna break us free today, so help us, Lord. Really take your word into our hearts and let it change our lives. Speak a personal word, Lord, to each and every person from your word. You know what they're going through. You have a word for them. And then help us obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Every one of us are a mix of awesome and awful. We're all part miracle and part messed up. We're all a mix of divine and dysfunction. And all families are dysfunctional to some degree, even in the best families. We all take with us some baggage from our family of origin, these incorrect ways of relating that cause problems, some unhealthy ways of coping that we get stuck in. We all pick up some baggage along the way. I'll give you just one example, birth order. How many of you are firstborns? Raise your hand. Some of you overachievers are already raising your hand before I finish the question. You firstborns think you're the most important because you set the standards, you make the rules, but the lastborn comes along and just changes the rules. Yes, you are important, but you're also messed up. You've got real issues. You see, when you were born, your parents were new at this parenting thing. They had a steep learning curve. They really didn't know what they were doing. So you were sort of like a crash test dummy. You were the experiment. And when the second child comes along, they say, we're not gonna make the same mistakes as we made with our first one. 
and you firstborn started to realize early on, like at about one, that your parents were clueless. And you better step up and be responsible and help them or the whole family is gonna crash and burn. So you've got some real issues, you know? Some anxieties and some fears and some worries and you got some issues. Now, how many of you are last borns? Raise your hand. Yeah, you're the baby. Yes, and you're proud of it. And some of you lastborns didn't raise your hand because you didn't want to. And I can't make you. I just want you to know you're really messed up. Because by the time you came along, your parents were just tired. They'd been worn down by your siblings. And you got away with a lot because your parents were just too tired to care. I call it the law of diminishing concern. With our firstborn, Chris and I decided that we were gonna feed him really healthy and none of that baby food from the store in those jars. We were gonna make fresh baby food. So we got a food processor and vegetables and fruit and made baby food. So healthy, we're gonna be the perfect parents. By our second, we said, baby food in a jar isn't that bad. <laughs> Preservatives might just preserve their life. We don't know for sure. And by our last one, he'd be crawling around eating out of the dog bowl. And it was like, that's cool. It's the law of diminishing concern. So you lastborns, I mean, you're messed up. But how many of you are a middle child? Raise your hand, yeah. Some of you are going, oh, you're asking me a question? Why? You notice me? If you're a middle child, you're really, really messed up because your parents would forget your name at times, call you by the name of one of the other kids. Your parents would leave you at the mall and they wouldn't realize it until two days later when someone said, hey, where's that one kid, you know? And everyone feels bad about it now and that's why there's a national holiday for you. Did you know this is true? There's a national middle child day where middle children are celebrated, yes! I'm a middle child, celebrated! The problem is no one ever remembers it, but um, <laughs> hey, we got issues. Probably more issues than anyone else except for only child. If you're an only child, don't even get me started. I mean, you've got the baggage of a firstborn and a lastborn, and you've never learned to share. We all know that. Hey, birth order is just a really tiny part of our dysfunction, but we're all dysfunctional to some degree. And have you ever noticed that it's really hard to find what we would call a really healthy family in the Bible, but it's real easy to find some really dysfunctional, messed up families in the Bible. I mean, just think about it. The first family, Adam and Eve, they sinned in such a huge way that it caused devastating consequences for all of humanity. And then their firstborn son, Cain, murdered their secondborn son, Abel. He committed the first murder. It's pretty messed up. And just think about the father of faith, Abraham. His wife, Sarah, was grieving her infertility. So she makes a really foolish decision. And she gives her servant, Hagar, to Abraham so Hagar could carry their surrogate child. And once the child is born, Sarah is consumed with jealousy and she abuses Hagar and sends her and her child away and doesn't care if they live or die. And through it all, Abraham is a passive wimp who just takes no responsibilities. I'm not gonna get involved in this. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Then Isaac and Rebekah, they have twin boys. His father liked Esau better. 
the mother like Jacob better, and they created the greatest sibling rivalry of all time. And David, he was a man after God's own heart, yet he committed adultery and murder, and then he didn't discipline his son Absalom, he just let him do whatever he wanted to do, and what he decided he wanted to do was lead a coup to try to take the throne from his father. And then there was Solomon. He was the wisest man in the world, but he did one of the dumbest things of all time. He married a 1,000 women. Do I have to say anything else about that one? I mean, why is the Bible filled with really messed up dysfunctional families? Well, one reason is because all families have some dysfunction, because every believer has this great capacity in our hearts to be so loving and so sacrificial, but we also have a great capacity in our flesh to be so selfish and sinful. So every family has dysfunction because every one of us are dysfunctional. But I think the main reason why the Bible says so much about dysfunctional families and not so much about really healthy families is because God's purpose is to bring you into a close relationship with himself, a relationship where you have to depend on him to meet your deepest needs of love and grace and meaning and fulfillment and purpose, those needs that you're longing for. And you'll never really learn to depend on God unless you realize how powerless you are to overcome your sins and the problems in your life on your own. I believe that's why God allows families to get so dysfunctional, so messed up. It turns us to God. We realize we can't fix this one on our own. We can't solve this problem. This is too painful. This is too difficult. This is a mess. We're going to need a miracle. And we turn to God. It's that brokenness that pushes us to the one who can bless us with peace and purpose in the middle of our pain. And it's the people closest to us that push us closer to God, whether in good ways or bad. It's the people closest to you that push you toward God. Sometimes it's in a good way, sometimes it's in a painful way, but either way it all leads to being pushed to our knees to really depend on God. We have to learn that we're not the hero of our story. We have to learn that we're not the hero God is. I'm not the savior Christ is. So if your family is really messed up right now, or you're feeling totally broken, I have encouragement for you today. God loves to turn messes into miracles. And the greatest miracle is not that everything gets completely fixed in your family. That's probably not gonna happen where everything gets fixed in your family because we live in a very broken world, but the greatest miracle is that God will heal your heart and give you fulfillment and his power to overcome your greatest struggle. I want us to look at our key passage in John 10.10. We see that we're not the hero of our story and we need to stop trying to be. We're not the savior. We can't change our circumstances for the most part. We can't change other people because we can't even change ourselves without God's power. He's the hero but there's also a villain. So I want you to stand in honor of God's word, and we're gonna look at what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. You can be seated. Jesus says here, if you stop trying to be the hero of your story and you bring your brokenness and your mess to me and let me be the hero, then you'll find fulfillment and a life of victory in your struggle. The life you were made for. I'll take you from dysfunction to destiny. You're not the hero of your story. 
But Jesus points out, you're also not the villain of your story, but you better realize there is one. Our enemy, Satan, wants to use our dysfunction to bring about destruction. We're gonna look at Joseph again this week because last week we looked at Joseph and some of the amazing choices that he made that determined his destiny. And we talked about Joseph coming from a really dysfunctional family. He's his father's favorite, and his father gives Joseph this beautiful, ornate coat that he doesn't give to any of Joseph's brothers. And the brothers are so jealous of Joseph that they decide to kill him. So one day, they grab him, tear off his coat, throw him into a pit while they decide how they're going to kill him. But then they come to their senses. They say, what were we thinking? We don't want to kill our brother. He's our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery in Egypt and tell our father a wild animal ate him. Let's cover his coat with blood and give it to our father. This would be a great thing. Now that is dysfunction. And it wasn't Joseph's fault that his family was so dysfunctional and that that dysfunction caused so much pain and dysfunction in his life. It wasn't Joseph's fault. He wasn't the villain of the story. And really, his brothers weren't the villains of the story. Though they did awful and villainous things, Satan was the true villain who tried to use all the dysfunction to take Joseph to total destruction. It wasn't Joseph's fault, but he had to take responsibility for his next step. He came to the place where he admitted he also wasn't the hero, and he was powerless to overcome all the problems and the hurt in his life, and he brought all the brokenness and pain to God, the real hero of the story, and it wasn't your fault that you got a lot of baggage and dysfunction and ways of relating that are really hurtful to you and to others. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to realize you're powerless and to turn to God's power to heal and to change. Because like Joseph, God wants to use your dysfunction to take you to your destiny. But if you don't take responsibility and turn to God, the enemy will use your dysfunction to bring about destruction in your life. And that's what he tried to do with Joseph. When Joseph became a servant to a guy named Potiphar in Egypt, he had such integrity. He did such a good job, and he took so much responsibility that Potiphar raised him up to be over his whole household. And then we said last week that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. And in Genesis 39.10, it says, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So the enemy uses temptation to try to derail Joseph's destiny and destroy his life. And just think about it, it would have been just so easy for Joseph to think, because of all the dysfunction in my family, I'm now a slave and my life is ruined my life is awful, I might as well give in, nobody will ever know I'm in this foreign country, God hasn't come through for me. It would have been so easy. But no, he took responsibility for his actions. He ran from temptation and he ran to God because he didn't want dysfunction to keep him from his destiny. And we need to realize that we have an enemy and he has a strategy. And it's always the same strategy that he uses over and over again to take our dysfunction and turn it into destruction. I want us to look at James 1, 13, because it tells us the enemy's strategy. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God's not the villain. He, he's not tempting us. It's the enemy that wants to destroy us. And here's what he uses. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So Satan's strategy has always been the same. He takes the dysfunction in our lives, and then he uses our desire. Look what it says. Each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. Temptation always begins with a natural desire. Eating, drinking, sexual desire, the desire to be approved and accepted. All those legitimate desires. But the enemy takes those legitimate desires and tries to get us to fulfill them in the wrong way or at the wrong time. He uses our dysfunction that we picked up along the way to try to pervert a legitimate desire. Maybe growing up, you learned to anesthetize your pain because you learned you should never feel bad. That's not good. Or you need to hide your struggle and sins and put out a good image to be accepted because we don't talk about the gross stuff in our lives. We're all good, everything's good. Or you needed to rebel to be noticed. The enemy will take that dysfunction and try to get you to fulfill a desire for acceptance or happiness or belonging in a way that hurts you and others. It goes from dysfunction to desire, but then deception. You see, he is a liar, the Bible says. He's the father of all lies. And so he wants to use that deception, and he uses it real effectively. Look what it says. We are tempted, we are dragged away, and enticed. Now, that word enticed literally means to be lured with bait. It's a fishing term. You see, Satan doesn't come to us in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and then tell us a lie. No, because then I would go, wait a minute, you're that guy in a red suit and horns and a pitchfork, you're the devil. So I know everything you say is a lie right now. I'm not gonna believe you. No, he never does that. You see, the Bible says he's an angel of light, he's a beautiful liar, and he uses temptation that looks good to us that looks like it'll bring happiness or acceptance. But it's a lie. It doesn't satisfy, and there's always a hook in it. Then you get hooked, stuck, addicted. You see, anytime I sin, I'm believing a lie from Satan. It may be the lie that this will make me feel better, or the lie that this will make me happy, or the big lie, I'm not hurting anyone else. For you see, a lot of times we compartmentalize our life, especially the guys, you men, you know, we have this tendency to compartmentalize our lives, put things in compartments, and, and God gave us that ability for a good reason so we can put some pain over here and we can keep going over here and be tough and strong, and, but yet we can use it in a really bad way. We compartmentalize our life and we put a, a secret sin over in one compartment and then we move on and, and we think, oh, it's only hurting me. I'll get over that. I'll get some victory over that. Don't wanna think about that. Maybe you were taught that you don't talk about that. And we begin to believe the devil's lie that not hurting anyone else. Look what Joseph told Potiphar's wife. And this is so amazing because when you think about it, that compartmentalizing, when you do it to an extreme, that's a lack of integrity because the word integrity comes from the word integer, whole number. 
And so to have integrity means that you're whole, that you don't put everything in those little compartments and hide things, that it's all one, it's all there. The compartments are blown up. That's integrity, and this is amazing to me. This really speaks to me because we see the secret to Joseph's integrity. Says Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in the entire household. How can I do such a wicked thing as this? It would be a great sin against God. So Joseph didn't believe the lie that it wouldn't hurt anyone else. He affirmed the truth that this sin wouldn't just hurt himself, but it would also hurt his boss and his God. And when you and I sin, it always hurts someone else. And Satan will lie to you and say, you can do whatever you feel like as long as it doesn't affect anyone else. The problem is, that's not true. Every decision you make affects someone else. Several years ago, Chris and I took a group of our college students on a mission trip to Kenya in our ministry there. And after the mission trip, we took them on a boat ride on Lake Navasha in Kenya, this beautiful lake that's full of hippos. Now, I've watched all the shows, like on Animal Planet and everything, about hippos. Did you know hippos are the most dangerous animals in Africa? They kill more people every year than lions or any other animal. I mean, they're mean. They're not cute, chubby little hippos. They are mean, nasty. They want to tear your head off. Well, we all got into these small, old, broken-down boats with really old motors with very little power, and our boat drivers took off to give us a tour of the lake. And Chris and I were going, this may be the dumbest thing we've ever done. But we got out into the lake. Our journey had just gotten started, and the driver spotted some hippos. And Chris and I were in the boat with three college guys. And then we saw the hippos. The driver slows down so we can take a look at this group of hippos, and he gets fairly close. But he has a healthy respect for them to not get too close to agitate them because they're real territorial. And he turns off the engine so we can just watch for a moment. And it was amazing and the quietness there on that lake, watching these hippos. But after a few minutes, the driver tries to start up the engine and take off, but it wouldn't start. And we start drifting closer and closer to these hippos, and the driver is frantically trying to get the engine started because he knows what this means. Well, the college guys in our boat had apparently no idea how dangerous hippos are because they thought it was awesome that we were coming closer and closer to them. Then one of the guys, stood up in the boat and tried to get their attention. He starts yelling at them. And then he stood up and started rocking the boat to where it almost tipped over. And the hippos looked at us and started twitching their ears, which is something they do right before they attack. And at that moment, I wanted to throw that kid overboard as a sacrifice to those hippos. <laughs> to calm the waters, throw them overboard. We did tell him in a godly way to sit down and shut up or we would throw him overboard. <laughs> now, what if he had said, just relax, this is my space. I'm gonna do what I want in my space. You got your space in the boat. Just do what you want in your space. I don't care. This is my space. It doesn't affect you. The hippos might get mad and attack me, but they won't hurt you because you're not doing anything. And we would have all said, don't you realize we're all in the same boat, at least for now, because in about two seconds, you're not gonna be in the boat anymore. <laughs> and see, that's the biggest lie, that it won't hurt anybody. A teenager who uses drugs says, I'm not hurting anyone else but myself. It's my life. Not true, you're destroying your family. A man says, I'm gonna hide my 
looking at pornography because my wife will never know. I don't want to hurt her. My kids will never know. Well, he's already hurting them by believing the lie that you have to keep your struggle hidden because when you keep it in the dark, you stay stuck in it. But when you bring it into the light and you get honest, that's how you get victory because it's in the dark that things grow that are from Satan, and it's in the light where Christ can kill those things off and then you can grow. Or someone has an affair and leaves their spouse and I've talked to several people right in the middle of that and they'll say, yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't the greatest thing but the good thing is the kids are handling it great. It doesn't seem to bother them at all. And I wanna go, what? Are you kidding? You're destroying their lives. The enemy uses deception and it's amazing how He uses the smoke screen of deception in the middle of the fire of temptation. And we can believe all sorts of lies that make no sense. But it seems true. The enemy always uses deception. But then his ultimate goal is destruction. In James 1.15, it says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's the enemy's ultimate purpose, to use your dysfunction to take you to destruction. He wants to bring death, death to a marriage, death to a family, death to a business, death to a dream, death to a career. He wants to use temptation to take you to destruction. But God wants to use your dysfunction to take you to your destiny. He wants to use your dysfunction to take you to a new day and a new way. But I have to take responsibility to bring my brokenness and sins and struggles to him and stop trying to fix it myself. And usually, it takes destruction to get us to dependence on God. And if you're at that place of destruction right now, it's really God and his love. It's painful, it's awful. None of us want to be there. But so many times in our lives, God will use that pain of destruction and failure to get us to turn to dependence on him, where we realize we made such a mess, we can't clean this up. We've hurt others in such a way that we can't fix it or heal them. We can't stop these hurtful, destructive habits. God, you're gonna have to do it. And when we come to that place and we bring our struggles and our sins and our mess to God, the amazing thing is he's right there to love us and forgive us. And that's something that's really hard for us to get a little bit of a grip on, to understand that God keeps forgiving. Why? Well, we don't deserve it, but he does. Look at 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So you can bring the worst mess to him and all the worst sins and struggles in my life, I bring them to him and what does he do? He forgives instantly. What an amazing thing. If I stop trying to rationalize because it says confess, what does that mean? It means like in a court of law, you confess that you're guilty. You confess to it. You don't blame others, we don't blame others, we don't try to minimize it. That's usually what we do is, it's like, well, at least I'm not that bad. That guy's really messed up, yes kind of stuck in this, but you know, everybody struggles with this, but that guy, he's really bad, and we minimize it, and that is a flight from God's grace. 
You see, Joseph ran from temptation and he ran into God's grace and God's strength and God's power. But when we just admit it and confess it, God, I don't deserve forgiveness, but I bring my sins to you. I, I failed, I made a mess, then instantly he forgives. And some of you, you're going, I can't bring the same old sin to God. I mean, he's just going, I am tired of forgiving you. When are you ever gonna get it? I'm done with you. You just keep falling into the same old sin over and over again. No, God says, every time you confess, he forgives instantly. We could never earn it. We could never deserve it. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to deserve it. Just receive it. Just receive it. See, I call this verse the Etch-a-Sketch verse. You ever used an Etch-a-Sketch as a kid? You know, you draw, and if you made a mistake, you would just turn it over and shake it, and it would erase it and wipe the slate clean. And that's what God does for us. We bring our sins and brokenness to him. We grieve over the way it's hurt us and others. And he wipes the slate clean and gives us a new day, a fresh start, a second chance. What an amazing thing, this thing called grace that he gives that we could never earn or deserve. But he doesn't want us to stay in that struggle he wants to give us victory in the struggle. Because if you stay in that struggle, then the enemy's gonna keep filling you with shame. And you're not going to really live the life you were made for and do what God has called you to do and make a difference that he's called you to make. A little boy was visiting the Washington Monument with his parents and he came up to a guard who was standing by it and the little boy said, I wanna buy the Washington Monument. And the guard kind of chuckled and he asked, well, how much money do you have? And the boy said, well, my parents gave me $3 to buy a souvenir, and that's what I want. And the guard said, son, you need to understand three things. First, you don't have enough money to buy the monument. Second, it's not for sale. And third, if you're a U.S. citizen, it's already yours. And that's the way it is with forgiveness. You can't afford God's forgiveness. It's not for sale. It's already yours because of what Christ did on the cross if you'll just receive it. What an amazing thing. And some of you are thinking, Carrie, you don't know what I've done. You know, I, I can't forgive myself. And I wanna say, who do you think you are? Do you think you're God? You think you're better than God? God says, I'll forgive you, but you say you can't forgive yourself? You bring it to God and receive his forgiveness. But God wants you to get victory, and this is what I want you to know more than anything else, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. God wants you to live a life in the light where you're experiencing his victory, a new day, a new way. Sure, you have struggles. Sure, you have sins. Sure, you make messes, but yet you're getting victory over those struggles. You're living one day at a time in his power, in his strength, staying in that brokenness so he can bring blessedness to you. In James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you confess your sins to God for forgiveness. See, you don't need to come to me and ask me to forgive your sins. You don't have to go to a pastor or a priest or anyone else to forgive your sins. You go directly to God because of what Christ has done. And the Bible says we're really priests now. We can go directly to God to receive forgiveness. So don't come to me and go, Carrie, forgive me of my sins. I can't do anything about it. But you can go directly to Christ and receive his forgiveness. But we also need healing. 
And to have healing, we gotta confess to someone else. Our sins, our struggles, those secrets, we gotta confess to someone else that we trust. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's someone on our counseling team, maybe it's a, a close friend. You see, you gotta come into the light of honesty with God and honesty with others to have victory because you need some people around you, one or two around you, who can walk with you through it to help you get victory, where you can just be honest about your struggles, where you can go, hey, this week was tough, and they can pray for you. When you share it with them, they're not gonna say, oh my, that's the worst thing I've ever heard of in my whole life. Oh my. Uh, I need to spread this around the church so we can pray for you. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna go, okay, I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. Walk in the light, but the problem is, whenever we step into the light, it's really uncomfortable. It's really, especially if you've learned early on in life that you need to hide all the grossness, you know, that you're different from everyone else. You, you got more gross things than everyone else, and so you try to minimize it and say, well, I'm better than everyone else, and you don't step into the light. It's really uncomfortable because the light exposes, you know, all of our brokenness, but once you take another step into the light, you find the warmth of God's love, who loves you so much, and that acceptance and that love. And then you start finding victory in your life. You walk in victory, and you feel the shame begin to go away. As you keep looking at Jesus, then God begins to work. And you realize you're not the villain, but there is a villain, and you've believed the lies of the villain, and it's taking you down paths that you've made choices that were sinful, but God has forgiven you, and now you're walking in the light. You're walking in the light and you keep bringing your brokenness to him, that's what God wants for each and every one of us. And so today, find someone you can share your struggle with, someone you can share those secrets with, so that you can be set free. And we've got great prayer teams and counseling teams here, and, and it's so important to get connected. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, so that you may be able to bear it. So no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to people. You know, the enemy works a temptation in different ways to different people because he knows our dysfunction. He knows where we're vulnerable, but it's a common temptation, whatever temptation you go through, whatever struggle you're in, whatever sin you're stuck in. But here's the thing, he makes a way of escape. And what is that way of escape? First, it's God's word. Keep going to God's word, spending time with God. That's why our daily devotional is so important. You know, it's every morning, seven days a week, during this time, going through the book of John, it's just about a three-minute video devotional. You have the devotional guide there, and you can spend time with Jesus in the book of John, and that helps you so much but then you also need God's people. You need to be connected to other people. That's why you need to join this church. That, that's the, the baby step. Join the church. Just take a step and connect to the church, and we have our membership class right after this service from one to three. We feed you, we take care of your kids. There's really no excuse. If the Woodlands campus is upstairs at the Tascacita campus, they have it in the auditorium. And it's today, and it's a great class, and that's how you join Woodland Church. And that's just the baby step. Get connected to others who are broken, but we're looking to the one who makes us whole. And then get in a life group. Get in a men's group. Get in a, 
a women's group, get in a couple's group where you got some other people on that you can share with and you can stay accountable to them and you can together encourage each other to walk in the light. Restoration is an amazing ministry at Wilderness Church. Those who are in restoration are the most spiritual people in our church because they recognize their brokenness and they're receiving God's blessedness. And it's every Tuesday night. It's seven o'clock and it's an amazing time where God is breaking people free from things that they've been stuck in and they're helping others break free. It's just an amazing thing. Get connected, that's so important. To have victory over your struggles, you've gotta connect to God's word and you've gotta connect to God's people. There's no other way. Be honest with God, be honest with others. But here's the thing that's so important. It really comes down to God's love. The real reason why we believe Satan's lies and we don't walk in the light of God's love is because we're not quite sure that God really loves us, that he knows what's best for us, that what he's asking us to do is really the best thing for us. And, and some of you have a really tough time trusting God, that he has the best in mind for you. Because when you think about God looking at you, you think of God being so stern and saying, you better not step out of line. I mean, you're worthless. It seems like you're always stepping out of line and I'm telling you, you do that again, you're done. I am sick of dealing with you. You're screwing up all the time. You better be aware. And we look at God and we think that he's just frowning at us and I have to admit I've struggled with that most of my life, thinking that God's going, you need to do better. You know, you're messing up. Why'd you do that? You know, better not ever do that again. I'm gonna take care of you. You'll never do it. Man, I'm so, I'm so frustrated with you. I mean, that, sometimes you, I look at God and think about God and he's frowning, and, but I'm learning to see that God is smiling at me. He loves me so much. And he's smiling at you. If you're a Christ follower, man, he's looking at you going, that's my boy, that's my girl. I love them. And then, when we sin, it just crushes his heart because he loves us so much and he knows how our sin devastates us and others and crushes the hearts of others in our lives and it hurts him so deeply but he still loves us. And he looks at us in love because you can't find anyone who will love you any more than he does and he loves you just the way you are but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. You can come to him just as you are, and he loves you and he welcomes you, but then he gives you the strength through his love to take those steps you need to take to walk in victory. You see, I've said so many times that a lot of pastors will tell you, you need to love God more. You don't love God enough. You got a problem. You don't love God enough, and really, that's not the truth. The truth is, you just need to know how much God loves you, because if you get a glimpse of how much God loves you, You'll surrender your whole life. You'll love him with all your heart. You'll follow him to the ends of the earth, even when you don't understand it, because someone who loves you that much, you can trust with everything, with everything important to you, your family, your relationships, your time, your finances, everything, because he loves you that much. Yeah, we all need to love God more, but what we really need is to get a glimpse of how much he loves us, because that will change everything and we will love God with all our hearts. When we get a glimpse of that, do you realize how much God loves you? 
Think about it for a moment. He knows everything about you that maybe things that no one else knows that you're ashamed of. He knows your mess and he loves you so much. He would have died for you if you'd have been the only one on this earth. He would have still come to the cross and shed his perfect sinless blood and died the horrific death just so you could be with him in heaven forever if you'd been the only one on this earth. Do you realize how much he loves you? That he loves you? He loves you? That he has a story for you. But you better realize you're not the hero. He is. And you're not the villain. The enemy is. But don't believe those lies. Because God, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, wants to to lead you in his truth. Let's just stand right now and bow together and pray. Dear God, I thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice. I know, Lord, we all have believed the devil's lies and we picked up, Lord, wrong ways of relating that have led us to believe those lies and then, Lord, we've chosen to believe lies that have really brought destruction. But I thank you, Lord, in that destruction, in that mess, you could work a miracle. And I pray for everyone right now who feels like they're just sitting in the ashes of their failures that you would just show them you love them so much and you've allowed them to get to this place so they can find how much you love them. And you can take their mess and turn it into a miracle and that destruction will lead to dependence. Lord, help us turn to you to depend on you, to bring all our brokenness to you so that you can bless us. You can take our dysfunction and bring about a new day in our lives. And Lord, I just pray for everyone right now who's gone through such hurt and have been wounded so deeply and wronged in such horrific ways as they were growing up and it wasn't their fault, Lord, but now they're having to deal with all this pain and all this hurt that you would just help them take it to you to realize it's not their fault but that they gotta take it to you because you're the only one that can heal. And Lord, we all have those hurts because we live with imperfect, broken people and we're broken and imperfect. We hurt each other. Help us, Lord Jesus, to have the power to forgive, to bring all the brokenness to you so you can make us whole because you're the only one who can. Lord, I pray that we'd stop trying to be the hero of the story and we would just give up to you, our hero. We'd stop trying to save ourselves and you would just save us. And Lord, I pray for those who have never received you. They've never turned over their life to you, that right now they would pray this prayer in the silence of their heart. They would just say, dear Jesus Christ, I admit I need you desperately. I admit that I have just failed miserably and I have sinned and I am broken and I have made a mess of things, but I ask you to come and work a miracle in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I've tried to be the savior. I've tried to be my own God. I've tried to be my hero, but I turn it over to you as my hero, as my God, and as my savior, Jesus Christ. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life from now on. I accept your free gift of heaven one day. Thank you for saving me. Now help me grow in my faith to have victory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life. He's never gonna leave you. He'll always be in your life. You ought to tell somebody. Tell one of our pastors. Or if you're online, click, I'm raising my hand because I received Christ. We just wanna help you with that, to help you grow in your faith. I'm telling you, Jesus loves you.
Think about that this week. How much he loves you. He cares about you. He knows everything about you. He knows your hurts, your pain, your problems, your mess, but he loves you. And he wants to lead you in love. Do you realize you're the one he loves? You're the one he loves? It's not he loves pastors, but he doesn't love you. Pastors are just like you. It's not that he loves really godly people, super spiritual people, but not you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Do you believe that, that you're the one he loves, that he would have come to this earth and died on the cross? If you'd been the only one, he loves you. Let's sing it. Let's affirm it, that you are the one that he loves, just as you are. But he doesn't leave you there. He wants to take you to your destiny. Let's sing it with all our hearts. You are the one he loves. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.